Alrighty, alrighty. Well, welcome and welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. I am so fortunate to have a wonderful, fantastic, fantabulous, well, y'all know I got to come up with all the words to talk about guests who join us. And before I even introduce this guest who will introduce herself, I want to let you know that I um, got introduced to her by a former guest on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. So just letting y'all guests know who have been on the podcast, this is how we do it. You introduce me and others to fantastic people um, who then can come on the podcast and enrich us with their great wisdom and knowledge. So thank you, Kalechi, for doing this introduction to wonderful Tanisha Freeman Foster, who is our guest today. So hi, Dr. T. Hi, Karis. How are you? Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm super excited to be here today. Oh, so happy to have you here. And again, just want to thank um, Kalechi Obozo for doing the introduction. Yes. Can you just introduce yourself to our audience, however you would like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Tanisha Freeman Foster. I am the CEO and co-founder of Lead Us Well. And my focus is all things leadership and how the intersections of leadership and mental health and mental wellness and, and thriving overall. Which is such an important topic because, um, you know, it's it's something that many of us have been impacted by personally. I, I know I might myself had, have found times where I just don't even know how I'm going to get to the next day, how I'm going to show up for work, um, who I can talk to. Because sometimes as a woman and as a Black woman in leadership, Honestly, I'm afraid to let people know that I might be struggling. And I have a mental health condition, which again, kind of makes it like, well, of course she's going to struggle. Well, no, maybe not. But I don't want people to assume things about me and think about like weakness and all that kind of stuff. But tell me, like, how did you even get interested in this topic? Absolutely. And so I have always been fascinated with leadership. I've always been fascinated with the power of leadership I think at some point I was very afraid of it as well. I questioned like my ability to lead others and if I was qualified to do so. And I remember my first leadership position and my mom gave me advice and she said, never forget your team. Do not forget about your team. And that always resonated with me. And it was something that I, at that time, I understood that if I never forgot my team and I looked at them as human beings and looked at them at strengths and the gifts that they brought, that together as a collective, we can't lose. Mm-hmm. We we don't lose because we, where one person is challenged, the other person is strong. And so I feel like as a leader, there comes, there's a great responsibility. And so it's the the offside sometimes is that there's a trade-off, that the fun things that I enjoy doing, hands-on services, there's a sacrifice that you can't do that as often if you are sitting in a leadership position. But the good part is that at that table, you can create an impact change for everyone that's doing direct services versus just you yourself and the people that you're working with. And so I found that fascinating. I always say I have a healthy obsession with leadership so much so that I got my master's degree and doctorate degree in leadership. So it's something that I feel strongly about that impacts not only staff, but impacts clients, it impacts communities. And if it's weak or if it's sick, it creates this this ripple effect that impacts 
staff and impacts teams and impacts communities and clients in the same way. And so not only are we looking at leadership, but looking at it through a lens of how do we facilitate effective and healthy leadership, one that is inspired and inspires others, one that is based in human-centered approach and sees the people that are impacted as human beings. Wow. Wow. So first of all, thanks for giving um, props to mom, <laughs> to your mom. Yes. So when you're yes. thinking about, you know, the work as, as a leader, and, and I would think like creating healthy, healthy workplaces that create healthy people, especially in mental health, I hate to say it can be kind of toxic <laughs> when you're working inside. So yeah, how do you, because if, if we're not well, it's kind of like the oxygen mask kind of theory. If yes. we're not well, then how do we put the oxygen mask and help either the people who are working here, or the people who are working on the front lines, keep the people well. So how do you help people sort of figure that kind of stuff out? Absolutely. So in my consulting and coaching there's a process of of going beneath the surface. And I call it a fixing the foundation. And it's it's disrupting what we have learned traditionally as what a leader should be and how a leader should act. And we know we have a, another layer on that when you're a woman and another layer on that when you're a Black woman in leadership. And so it's really interrogating that. Where did that messaging come from and how was it serving you? And so I always say that everyone has a suitcase that they take with them and we carry it around in our lives with us. And sometimes it contains things that have been put in by our parents, by religion, by people that we met in social media and various things. And we have to open that suitcase. We have to open it on a continuous basis to evaluate what's inside of it and what is it doing and how is it aligned or unaligned with the leader and the person that we're striving to be. And I joke sometimes and say, sometimes we open it up and it's like, whose pants are these? Like who put these pants mm -hmm. in my suitcase and whose pants are these? Like, this is not even your stuff. And so it's important to open that and to, to do that work. And I think sometimes we abide by this notion of to do self-reflection or to look at ourselves means that we're weak as a leader. And it's actually the opposite. That gets you, that makes you strong. And I think as leaders, a part of our responsibility is to model the way. And so if you want well people, then you have to model what wellness looks like. And that starts with taking care of yourself. Right. right. I love the suitcase analogy. And I'm like, sometimes I wonder, well, wait, how'd the pants get back in there? Right. Yes. <laughs> not only are they not my pants and I took them out, <laughs> I addressed it, but somehow those pants crawl right back into the suitcase. So it, it's, is that an ongoing thing always to do that self-reflection and that interrogation? And it's not just a one-time thing and like a one and done. Absolutely. And, and sometimes those pants come back from people that love us. And a lot of times, regardless of our race, we have people that are in our circle that want the best for us and they lean in through a lens of fear. And so those pants become the protective factor for that fear. Like, no, you mm. got to put these pants back in there just in case. And so we have to keep interrogating that and we have to keep reinforcing those boundaries and reinforcing who we are striving to be as leaders. And we cannot lead in fear. Now, I, I believe that as leaders, we should have a healthy dose of fear, but it should not be debilitating. I think we should have a healthy dose of fear because we're impacting people's lives. 
We're impacting clients' lives. We're impacting our staff's lives. And just as we hear a lot of conversations about bad leaders, there's a lot of conversations about good leaders. And so we, no matter how long a person is in that position, they could be working on our team for a year or two years, that one or two years impacts them forever. So that's a scary thing when you like, I'm spending time with somebody and my influence is going to impact them for the rest of their life that we should be scared. And if we're not, and we just like, I got this, it's like, mm, move out the way. Cause a lot of things about to get torn up in the process. Yeah. So I think there should be some type of, of fear because of the level of responsibility that we carry as leaders. Yeah, that is, that is so incredibly powerful. It's like we're holding people's lives and many lives in our, in our hands, if you will. And so it's so important. I always talk about what experience do I want people to have? What experience do they want to have when they're working with, with me within the side of a department or organization or what have you, where I'm working and, and no matter what it is we're doing, there should be something about that experience that is healthy for the person, makes them feel valued, like those kind of things. Yes. How do you see like how injustice impacts the health and well-being of our of our leaders of color? Because doing that sometimes I'm doing it by myself. Like I didn't I didn't yes. have anybody to talk to. I had to like make up these things in my own little brain. And sometimes it would be it would be an emotional burden on me as the leader. Yes, it it is very layered. And I think there are several parts to it because we look at it as a leader, but also as a human being. Like, how would I feel if that happened to me? And I think also there is this, this thing that we carry with us as Black and Brown leaders of like, I'm supposed to be doing this right so I can pave the way for other people. And so there's a tremendous amount of weight that we place on ourselves. And I think that society and people around us place on us as well. Like you are the first one in this position. And it's unfortunate that we are still talking about first in 2024. You are the first one, the first black woman in this. And so that adds all these icky layers on. And sometimes it makes it hard to do that work. And so there's a lot to navigate because as we are navigating these positions as the first or, or one of a few, we're also navigating racism and microaggressions. And so it's like, okay, how do, how do I show up in this position for this person who may look like me? And I think my lens has been trying to look at it as first they're a human being, but also look at it objectively, but look at it as a as a way of helping them move closer to their purpose, mm -hmm. the thing that they were created to do. And I think as a leader, especially when you've been leading for quite some time, you know, when you manage people like who this is their jam, they're going to do it with they can do it with their eyes closed and who's struggling with it, who wants to do it well. And you've tried everything you can think of to help them do it well. And they still are challenged by it and who. It was just a test. Like they came in and they're like, I seen this on TV and I thought that I wanted to be a social worker. I thought I wanted to be in mental health. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. no, no, mm -hmm. this is not it. And so you're constantly dealing with personalities and dealing with fit. But I think at the end of the day, if we look at it through a human lens, it's not about you not being an employee here. It's about me helping you to reach your purpose and helping you understand your purpose because I think the most powerful thing is when people find that thing that they were created to do. Oh my goodness, that's just such a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. And everyone benefits from that. And so I think 
that's the way I lean into it. How can I help this person find their purpose? And I think also as leaders, sometimes we've been doing this for so long. We know we just like, have you ever thought about doing A, B and C? Like I know someone who does that. And I think you would be really good at that. And so sometimes even in those uncomfortable and unfortunate situations, we're able to still make those connections and help people see things in themselves that, that they hadn't seen yet. Yeah. And, or they kind of know it, but they're afraid to kind of figure, they don't know yes. what to go with it. Like they know yes. like, this is not it, but I need to collect my paycheck or I feel yes. comfortable here and, and stepping out is, is, is tough. So you know, I was I was also thinking about how sometimes systems were not made or built by us, but were in them. And then sometimes culturally, there's a little bit of a mismatch, or maybe from a gender perspective, there's a mismatch. Like, for example, people may say, oh, she's so soft-spoken, like me, I'm, I can be kind of soft-spoken. And they're like, why isn't she speaking up? And I'm like, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's just something about, well, you know, what I've said to people, and I've learned this is... um. I'm a black woman. People haven't seen me. I'm not the smallest of black women. So I'm a big black woman and I have a deep voice. So imagine what happens when I'm booming. So what happens when my voice is booming is, um, oh, well, you know, she's super aggressive. I wasn't aggressive, right? Right. So how do we, how do we, so I have, I've sort of had to learn how to like, um, you know, soften my voice, really, honestly. I don't, diminish my size. I am what I am and I show up that mm -hmm. way. But th this is about kind of getting to your book about this, this um, sometimes having to assimilate, like how do like, and, and when we assimilate, what is that also doing to us that then you can't be your full authentic self? So though my voices soften, I feel like the rest of me and now I know that I just have a soft voice, <laughs> um, is authentically me, right? So yes. what happens when we can't be authentically us because systems don't support that? Yes, that's a great question. It is something that I wrote in my book about rough seas, navigating rough seas and C stands for soul eroding, assimilation forcing systems. And it it it's diminishing, it's devaluing and it's dehumanizing to not be able to be yourself. And I think- also, there's a part where we feel and we should be able to show up as our full selves. Like, why can't I just show up like this? And so what I suggest is, is baby steps. The part that you bring, bring it real. Bring that real. And I think also challenging people, challenging people to look in themselves and using our our positions and our, our roles in that seat at the table to challenge people. And it may not be me challenging you about me. But there are opportunities as we have discussions about the different things that I can challenge around how you how you look at something. And so, for example, I had a colleague one time that came and they said, hey, I'm going to get my hair cut during lunch break and I'm going to the projects. And like, what is the what is that? And I, I know what it means. What is the projects? Oh, it's the low income area. So do you know that those areas were actually projects? Those were actually areas where people had experiments done to them without their consent and without their knowledge. And that is some of the layers that that happens in those neighborhoods. And here are some are and they went and they researched it that night and came back and say, oh, my God. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I researched that and I learned so much last night and they never, ever use that term again. And I think that's the process that we have to endure as human beings. And so as I am navigating these spaces where I don't completely fit, 
where are there intersections that I can teach people that I can wow them, that I can say, I I don't understand where you got that from, but I don't know anyone like that. Or I've learned that people that behave in this way, that they're like this. Am I like that? I know other people that look like that or that behave in that way. And that narrative is not true. And so constantly, I think disrupting it, but also simultaneously taking care of ourselves. I think anytime you're unable to be your authentic self, it creates um, a process that's very traumatic and very disruptive. And sometimes we lose ourselves in that process. So I think that is the power of being in community with other people who look like you and being in spaces with other people who look like you. And for example, like one of my biggest go-tos is Zumba. I love Zumba and I have multiple different Zumba classes that I attend. And one is with mostly black women. And mm-hmm. so that is my community. And so being able, if you're not able to be your authentic self at work, finding those areas where you can be your authentic self. And then as much as possible, if we think of it as like a balance being, how do we increase it? How do we increase those spaces and those opportunities to be our authentic self? So we turn down the volume on the spaces that say we are not enough or you can't be your authentic self here. And so I always say, if you give your job a hundred percent, you should be giving your life 200, whatever you give the job, give yourself double. And so finding those extra spaces. When I'm seeing some of my, my colleagues, um, you know, talk about toxic stress and toxic Mm -hmm. environments, and uh, they're primarily women of color. I get a little nervous about what's happening out there and kind of like, I, I, I think this is some of what's happening is their soul is being eroded. Oh yes. Being pushed into boxes that do not, that are just kind of like, you got to show up in a particular way. You got to do a particular thing. You got to say it in a particular way. And by the way, you cannot speak up about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, that just kills their spirit. Yes. The goal is for me in this book is to first let people, let black women know that they're not alone. And second, that this is not a figment of your imagination, because I think sometimes, and we talked about this earlier, about all of these layers that we take on as leaders, especially Black women leaders in this role, and we we take that on, and we have to be able to, to be real about what we have to navigate as individuals in that. And sometimes we block that out, we enter with our eyes closed because we are the first leader in our family or we are the first person to be able to make this amount of money or drive this kind of car or live in this neighborhood. And yes, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, but our ancestors want us to be well too. They've suffered enough. And so how do we balance this and give ourselves an opportunity to just be real about it? And I always say, let's not romanticize and be delusional about it. We're not going to put frosting on rotten cake. Yes, this is a great job and you enjoy what you do and you get a nice check. And at the same time, it is eroding pieces of you because you are forced to put yourself in a box. You're forced to conform into a pretzel. And in that pretzel, we know changes every day. Today is a pretzel. Tomorrow is ice cream. The things that you did and compromised on yesterday are no longer good tomorrow. And so now you got to figure out who to be the next day. And that's exhausting. And so I say, I talk about in the book around a lot of times we aspire to these things and to these positions. And in a lot of ways, we 
are still navigating the same thing that our grandparents and our parents navigated. And so in essence, these jobs and the checks and the housing and the things, the trips that we're able to take, they're trophies for abuse, that those are mm -hmm. things that we enjoy and things that we have access to, but we've paid a price for it. And so if we're not careful, it will erode our soul and it will erode our body in the form of diabetes, in the form of heart disease and cancer and heart palpitations and your hair falling out in the middle and all types of things if we're not careful. And so my advice is that no matter what is going on, we should always have a plan. And either we are planning to leave or we're planning to stay. And if you know your environment is toxic and you need the money, everyone can't leave. I'm aware of that. And so if you need to stay because you need the money, there has to be a plan in place for your wellness of how you're going to prioritize your health and well-being as you navigate this. And, and again, if you're giving it 100% at work, it needs to be 200% in your personal life to compensate at least compensate for what's going on. And so being very intentional about that, being very intentional about self-care. And I always say doing nothing is doing something too. So if you need to mm -hmm. sit in the bed on Saturday all day and eat cornflakes in your bed and watch television, do what you need to do. Like you don't have to be up and doing work. And when you go on vacation, turn your phone off, like go on vacation mm -hmm. for real. And so implementing things like that, I think are very helpful too. Yeah, yeah. And that that almost it, it's like a discipline. It takes practice to do that, right? Cuz it's not Absolutely. something that we do naturally. Mm -hmm. I think this is so important and I just wonder I mean there there are two questions I have. One is how do organizations understand these very important and I'm going to call them human principles cuz it's very much about the humanness of the mm -hmm. people that are within their organizations. And then what happens when, you know, racism or sexism or ableism sort of raises its head and what we're talking about gets skewed, meaning we have a fear if we take a break that people will see us as lazy, as like Black people or people of color, or me with a mental health condition. People will assume that my mental illness is kind of like going on and it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with that self-care piece or that authentic piece. So how do we balance like helping organizations support the health and well-being of people and then recognizing that bias can enter in these global assumptions about people that, yeah, that either has us reacting a, a particular way or has the organizations treating us a particular way um, when we're trying to do that balancing act boundaries and self-care? I think we have to change the culture of what work is like. What is work what first of all, what is work? It's it's a it's a tra it's a transportation or a road to outcomes, and so how people meet outcomes should be the priority of the organization, not how many hours did you spend. And I think I've seen mm -hmm. that over and over again, where a lot of times priority is given to the person that works fifty or sixty hours, and it's like um, I actually sit next to them. And I know they ain't worked 50 to 60 hours. They played for 40 hours and did the work in 20, but that's another story. But I think that thing of like, you have to be doing something and people walking by and they need to see people in their seat or you working from home and they need to be calling you via Teams or on the phone to make sure you're working. And I think we need to be mindful of that because for me, there's a, a, a strong correlation between doing that and colonization and slavery. Mm. And so that of like, 
You got to be doing this. What are the outcomes? And how do we reach those outcomes and prioritize the human experience? Because if we focus on the outcomes and we let go of this notion that you have to be working every second if you're not at lunch, people will do a great job. Like I have seen it over and over again. If you do, do that for people, they will appreciate it so much that they're going to go above and beyond in their outcomes. And so I think it's prioritizing that. And I know when it comes to, to racism and sexism and homophobia, we have to call that out in the workplace. Mm -hmm. We have to have conversations around what that means and why are we leaning into these narratives? And a lot of times it's based in two things, fear and power, and sometimes both. And we have to address those things of how do we navigate this as an organization? Because again, it goes back to the human experience. How do we make sure that this is a place where people look forward to coming to work and hate to leave at the end of the day, where people want to stay and they don't want to leave. And I think once we do that, everything else will start to fall into place. We have a problem with workplace retention. And yes, some of it is related to pay, but a lot of it is related to how we treat people. Mm -hmm. Now, if you treat me bad and pay me poorly, we got a super problem. You're always going to be having a problem with retention, but you can pay someone to the best of your ability and not pay them a wage that they would like to have, but one where they're able to live and get the things that they need to get and the things that they want to have a little bit of, and people will still come to work and do a great job. And so I think at the end of the day, it's about the experience. How do we treat people? How do we value them as human beings and looking through that lens of whether it's racism or sexism or homophobia, that is an experience for somebody. So while that is the flavor of the day for us, and I'm going to challenge you or treat you in this way because of the color of your skin, that's just the thing to you. That's my life. Like mm -hmm. I navigate the world as a black woman. And so if we can elevate our minds and look at what these things are beyond a topical or superficial topic and actually look at the experience that someone navigates as a black woman, as a brown woman, as a black man or brown man, as a person who is gay or lesbian, that's an entire experience. And just because we don't understand it, we don't have the right to devalue it or minimize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, this is also powerful and sadly, there's just so much more work to be done. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's just yes. kind of like, to me, this this almost feels, and maybe because many of us have had the experience of being marginalized, minoritized, devalued, et cetera, there, there may be some level of empathy around why it's so important for organizations to treat people like people. There may be a naturalness of it for, for many of us who get into organizations and or leadership positions to try to create an experience that feels good for people because we didn't have that experience ourselves. And, and also I've seen it where people repeat what was done to them. Yes. Yeah. And I think it, it's actually easier than we think. Like we look at it and it's like, that's disgusting, but it's easier because as a leader, one of the things that we don't talk about often is being a buffer. And it's that thing of you just got cursed out or you just got roughed up by your supervisor and you have an option. You can either metabolize it, 
you can go and you can go external and find a community that you can get support from, or you can go and do the same thing to your staff. Mm -hmm. And so many people just go and it just trickles downhill. Yes. And it's like, oh, they just got chewed out because they just came out of that meeting and did that to us. And so that is one of the skills I think that we don't talk about and develop as a leader. You, you have to be able to either vent up or vent out. You yeah. can't vent down. And so how do you buffer it and go and talk to your, your supervisor or go outside of the agency and talk to a therapist or a coach or find some type of collective that you can just be and that yeah. you can just share these things versus doing it to your staff because someone did it to you? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like we know the bully will be the 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 person who was bullied sometimes will turn into a bully because yes. that may be all they know or somebody who was um you know abused may turn into an abuser because that's all mm -hmm. they know. Absolutely. And I I just want to touch on something with that. I think too it's learned behavior uh -huh. that we saw someone else do it and it looked like they made it to where they were because they behaved in that way. And so when we talk about organizations and creating cultures there has to be a process of rewards and consequences. Like if, if people are able to, if leaders are able to mistreat staff and continue to excel within the organization, the only way you fix that culture is by stopping people from being able to be promoted. Yep. If you don't treat, you could meet all a thousand outcomes and treat your staff poorly. You don't qualify to be promoted within this organization. But as long as people can meet the outcomes and treat their staff like trash sometimes and continue to be promoted, I am reinforcing that. Yes. Even if I disagree with it, I am reinforcing it every time I promote that person and I'm modeling the way for other people who may be coming behind them to say, this is the way. As long yep. as you meet your outcomes, you can do whatever you want to do to staff. And then people, oh, that's the way you move up in this company. So then you start to create other mini leaders behind it, who will come and do the same thing until you start having problems with retention. Because now I think it's in a different culture, rightfully. So I'm just so fascinated because I think people are now moving to a phase. It's like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Especially mm -hmm. young people, like I'm going to take care of my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us too, are like we've seen our grandparents, our parents, our great grandparents be mistreated. And we're like, no, this is, there's not, you just do this and it's going to get better. It hasn't gotten better for me or anyone else. So I'm not going to do this. And so until we start treating people right, we're going to always have problems with retention and re-engaging mm. people. And so really going back to that human-centered approach is, is, is really important. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like quiet quitting isn't so quiet anymore, you know? No. Yeah, yeah. So as we wrap up, one of the things, and this has just been, First of all, it's been a super affirming conversation. I'm sure for many people who have been, you know, struggling in their own organizations or workplaces need to hear these really powerful messages of, first of all, you're not alone. And second of all, is not you. Because I think yes. we can internalize this stuff as, oh my God, it's me. And it's not. Yes. It really is the organization or system in which you were sitting, right? Correct. So what words of wisdom or, or I call it wisdom dropping, is there like one piece of wisdom dropping that you would like to leave our audience with before we wrap up? That's a really great question. So I will take one from my book that I used in the book. And I think it is to, to remember to separate your purpose from the platform. 
that your job is a platform similar to a marketplace where you sell and sometimes at a really discounted price, you sell your skills and your expertise in exchange for a paycheck. Your purpose is your, your divine gift, is what you were born with, is what your creator or God gave you to come into the world and make a difference. And sometimes we conflate the two. We stay in environments that are toxic because that is the way we implement or act on our purpose. And we have to be able to separate the two and say, the purpose is going to go with you wherever, from here to California, to Japan, wherever you are, because it lives within you. This job is a platform. Again, it's a marketplace and there are millions of marketplaces in, in the world. And so just remembering to separate the two and you may be fulfilling your purpose at this job, but your job is not your purpose. And so untangling the two, because I think when you conflate them, it causes a lot of unnecessary hurt. It compounds the trauma because now we're holding on to something that's killing us, literally, because we think we're supposed to be there. This is what I'm supposed to do. I am supposed to be helping sick people and helping to make them better. You sure are. That is your purpose. And you don't have to do it at this place that's hurting you while you're trying to help other people who are hurting as well. And so that would be what I would leave with the audience. Speechless right now. Totally, <laughs> totally speechless. That is so, so, so incredibly powerful. Snaps, claps, thumbs up, the whole nine yards of I I'm gonna have to like pass that one on, which we will because you've been on the podcast. So help yourself. Yes. Please thank do. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. It's been just such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Karis. I appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, folks. So um, we will list a link if you're interested in the book about being able to get Dr. Tanisha's book. Um, yay, yay. You guys know what to do from here. You're supposed to like, comment, subscribe, says my uh, producer. Most important thing for me, though, is that you share because this has been a very powerful conversation that I'm sure other folks would really, really benefit from hearing. So make sure to share. And until next week, we will see you next time on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. <laughs> <laughs>